first time I heard this song, I think I, I think I played it backwards. <laughs> can you can you recall what it said? Yep, yep, Dairy Queen, yep, yep, yep. Ice Cream Sims, like, Bruxy Gaming. Too funny. Folks, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live right here in southern Ontario on Joy 1250. We are giving away a copy of this book that we are about to chat with the author about, The Tears of Dark Water. You want to go to The Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HCC Faith Books. That's HarperCollins Canada Faith Books. So find The Drew Marshall Show Facebook page. Alex, the intern, has been posting and, and will be posting just a beautiful shot of me holding this book while I'm pretending to read it. And you hold it right side up this time. <laughs> I should have done that. Because that's better marketing if you make people focus in more on stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Let me give you a little background, folks. Daniel and Vanessa Parker are an American success story. He is a Washington, D.C. power broker, and she is a doctor with a thriving practice. But behind the facade... Oh, jeez. And her Versace purse. <laughs> their marriage is a shambles, and their teenage son, Quentin Tarantino, is self-destructing. In desperation, Daniel dusts off a long-delayed dream, a sailing trip around the world. Stuart Little does he know that the voyage <laughs> he hopes will save them may destroy them instead. <laughs> Half a world away. I am just, I need to, this, I mean, the author's yeah, on the phone, and I'm reading this, this in front of him. He's going to kill me. And he's a lawyer. Half uh, a world away on the lawless coast of Somalia, Ismail Adan Ibrahim, I don't think I said that right, is plotting the rescue of his sister, Yasmin, from the man who murdered their father. Man, this is getting... Driven to crime by love and loyalty, he hijacks ships for ransom money. There's nothing he will not do to save her, even if it means taking innocent life. Paul Derrick is the FBI's top hostage negotiator. His twin sister, Megan, is a celebrated defense attorney. When Paul is called to respond to a hostage crisis at sea, he has no idea how far it will take them into their traumatic past or the chance it will give them to redeem the future. Corbin Addison is a killer author, and this is his latest uh, book, The Tears of Dark Water. He joins us on the phone, if he's still there, if he's not hung up already, saying, what have I gotten myself into? Corbin, how you doing, man? Great, true. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Have you ever had uh, such a foolish person interview you before? <laughs> oh, I, I'm, sur- I'm sure that, that I've had uh, a, truly a you know, very diverse group of people. So you know what? Um, I'm delighted to be here. That's where, No, you're not. You don't know that yet. That's where you, it's, <laughs> this is where you say the, the phrase everyone says, it is what it is. You know, you say that. Yes, exactly. Say, yeah. Um, you are a lawyer, so... Does that mean that you spent a thousand years in school, spent a million dollars taking school, and now you've uh, you're making lots of money and you have spare time so you can write books? <laughs> no, actually, I wrote my first published novel, Walk Across the Sun, uh, nights and weekends while I was practicing law during the day. Um, wow. It was you know one of those things that you know is really it was two full time jobs, and you know it's very hard to fit two full time jobs into one life. Yeah. And so, you know, at the time, my, my wife, you know, let me do that once and basically said, look, if this doesn't go anywhere, <laughs> you're going to need to devote yourself wholly to the law. Um, thankfully, that book did go somewhere and open another door for me, and, and I've stepped through it. You know, it remains an experimental thing, though. You know, uh, hitting lists in various countries is great. 
um, making a living as a full-time author is a really interesting kind of deal. Um, I've been privileged, and I hope I can keep going. It's, it's always a joy. Wow, you got an endorsement from, uh, oh, the Oprah magazine, a pulse-reviving novel with a serious message, and, <laughs> and some guy named John Grisham? Yeah, right, exactly. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Um, what kind of law do you practice? Corbin? You know, I don't, I don't practice anymore. Um, when I was practicing, I, I did litigation, uh, so I was in court a lot. Um, so when you say you walked through the door, you mean you left law and, and became a writer full-time? Yeah, that's wow. why I said it's an experimental thing. Um, yeah, because it's, um, it's definitely not nearly the stable life that I could have had had I stayed with the law. But I love doing this. You know, I write these stories uh, about issues of justice around the world about people, you know, whose stories uh, in real life matter. I fictionalize them, but my hope is, you know, to inspire empathy in people and, and hopefully move the needle forward on human dignity, um, which is something that, you know, I couldn't do in a courtroom uh, quite as easily. I mean, it was, you know, I cared about what I did for my clients, but I love doing this more. What, uh, what's your favorite law show, TV show? <laughs> you know, honestly, I haven't, I haven't watched... A legal show in a while. Um, How about you know, Suits? The, the last... Have you watched Suits? Have you seen Suits? Have you heard of Suits? I've, I, I have heard of Suits. Yeah, my uncle told me it's fabulous. Um, the last show I watched was Bloodline on Netflix. Um, I'm a big white collar fan before they quit. Um, and Friday Night Lights, you know, with yeah. my wife. Those kinds of shows. Right. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, why are you so passionate about? You know, justice stuff and, and, I don't know, making a difference in the world. I'm assuming it has something to do with your God thing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, look, I, I come to the world as a, as a Christian, um, and, you know, I've wrestled through what that means. Um, you know, and I've, I've been a lot of places in the world, and i met a lot of people who have very different views. You know, I grew up in one stream of Christendom and, and have since, you know, widened my views quite a bit. Um, but, you know, deepened them as well. And, you know, I've, I've come to some sort of fundamental conclusions about, uh, about the world that we live in and about the God who made us. And I think he cares a, a heck of a lot about justice. I think he cares a lot about, uh, you know, the weak and the poor, the oppressed. Um, and, and so as a result of that, you know, that, that's the motivation that drives me to write these stories. I mean, my stories are written for a mainstream audience. They're written for the world. Um, you know, so faith plays... Uh, a very small sort of role in my characters' lives, and they're holistic people. Um, but you know, that's they're not faith stories. Um, at the same time, you know, my motive uh, in writing, you know, is is to advance the needle, as I said, in human dignity. And I think that that's, you know, in the same way that it was for Martin Luther King Jr. for William Wilberforce. Yeah, um, you know, that's it's a faith-driven uh, journey for me. Um, I'm going to ask you the hero question. I know it's a typical, you know, interview question, especially uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> No, well, it is right. Who's your, you know, who's a hero? Who's who's someone you, you, that kind of has has moved the needle in your life? Who who would that be? I know Wilberforce is, has been uh, somebody that's rocked your world a little bit. You just mentioned him. That's what made me think of it. Yeah, sure. I mean, honestly, his story is is one of the more inspiring stories of social change in in Western history. Um, you know, it took a long, long time and a tremendous amount of of sacrifice. Uh, to push society, and of course, it took you know the help of a lot of people, people in power, um, you know, on all dimensions of British society to push a society that was making tons of money off of uh, the slave trade to actually make it illegal to abolish it, and then ultimately to emancipate the slaves. I mean, it's a 
a true reversal of fortune for an entire society. And that's something that, you know, um, required, uh, like I said, uh, a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice. Um, you know, he's the kind of hero that I hope to emulate, a kind of person who um, he never gave up and who truly believed in, you know, what he was doing and was willing to follow it through even at great cost to himself. Corbin, let me just give you a little tip, okay? <laughs> if you are ever asked again, who's your hero? Yeah. Your wife needs to be the first one that you say. <laughs> she is. Thank you. You're absolutely Too right. Too late, though. Too late. No, nope, you can't. Beep. 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 Um, I find you intriguing as uh, as someone who, you worked really hard to become a lawyer, and then yep. you started writing, and then you gave up lawyering and went into writing, and the lack of security that came with that, I mean, that was a big move, so, I, you know, I find that intriguing. I also, um, I like the fact that, you know, your money is where your mouth is. You um, you are an activist, uh, you traveled, traveled around the world. Um, you are a supporter of numerous humanitarian causes, including the abolition of modern slavery, uh, gender-based violence, and HIV/AIDS. Um, modern-day slavery. Do we really see that or care about that in North America? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know the fastest-growing criminal industry in the world, and it involves um, you know millions of, of victims around the world, survivors. Um, you know, mostly in the sex trade, women and girls, um, some boys and men. Um, but, you know, when you involve labor trafficking, uh, you know, you're talking about whole families, um, you know, little children, all the way up to elderly people. And, you know, it, it impacts a lot of industries. It's not just the sex trade. It's the clothes we buy. Um, you know, it's the food we eat. Uh, it's the shrimp that we, you know, put on our plates. Um, you know, lots and lots of dimensions of, of modern, um, you know, the modern economy are being supported by the underside of of business and and there are a lot of people being exploited. I mean, millions of them. So, yeah, it's it's something that we see. It's something that we should care about. Do we care about it enough? I don't think so. Um, but there are a lot of great people out there doing a lot of great work, and that's one of the things that I'm passionate about talking about. So you're involved a little bit with IJM International Justice Mission. Yeah, in fact, I did uh, my research for my first and second book um, with with them in their field offices, first in Mumbai for uh, sex trade, for the sex trafficking, and then um, in Zambia uh, on gender-based violence for the Garden of Burning Sand. Hmm. Why Somalia? Like, why? How did that end up figuring into into the story for you? It was is there some connection there? You spent time there. I mean, you just you just spin the globe in your office and point your finger down, and that's where it landed. No, it was actually I was doing um, research for my second book, The Garden of Burning Sand, when um, a, a, an American sailboat was taken hostage by Somali pirates off the coast of Oman back in 2011. And wasn't you know, Tom Hanks involved in? No, no, no. That was two years prior. That was the Captain Phillips thing, and of course, that was the hero story. You know, the seals went in and took their three simultaneous shots, and you know, killed the bad guys, and Captain Phillips became a hero, which I think he was. I mean, it was a true story, a real story, a gripping story, um, but, you know, not the whole story, uh, at least as far as I, I'm concerned. And I was hoping with my story to tell, um, you know, uh, something far more holistic, something that would really take on Somalia itself, the Horn of Africa, the humanity underneath the Civil War, the consequences of violence, which is, you know, humanity's oldest problem, um, you know, even from our scriptures going back to Cain and Abel. 
um, you know, the consequences of violence for ordinary individuals, be they Somali or American, um, you know, and, and fundamental questions that arise out of incidents of violence. Um, what does justice look like? And is forgiveness possible? Yeah, this is, and this is, yeah. this is the conversation I want to have with you. I mean, when we start talking about things like justice, uh, we talk about uh, crime and punishment, we talk about forgiveness, we talk about extremism. I mean, that's ba- you've stirred all of that stuff up. And that's what this book is really about in many ways. It is, yeah. And, you know, I, um, when I come to the table um, with a new story, I, I dive into it, you know, full immersion. So, you know, did I go to Somalia? Yes. Um, I went, you know, with a journalist to Mogadishu and even went, you know, with the, the African Union military uh, outside of Mogadishu, you know, with guys with guns wearing a flak jacket to visit a, you know, a camp for internally displaced people. So I could see the real Somalia. Um, so you know, when I wrote about it, I wasn't just writing from my imagination. Um, you know, I, I try to to really immerse myself in these worlds. I mean, I went and met with Somalis in Minneapolis. I read the Quran um, from cover to cover, right to left. You know, um, spoke with with imams because, of course, you know, Somalis are Muslim, and my hope is is always to dignify and humanize all of my characters, whatever their background may be, and their views of the world and ultimate things. Um, you know, and so I, I immerse myself in that, you know, and then I put myself into their minds when I'm writing the story. You know, I live the story as much as, uh, as my characters do, um, often to my, my wife's frustration because I'm completely lost in my own world at the dinner table. Um, you know, but that, that's my hope, you know, is to really wrestle with these things and to take my readers into some really fundamental questions. I mean, to, um, you know, to challenge my readers to think, to imagine, you know, these scenarios and what they would do if they were there. Uh, Corbin Addison on the phone with us. He's the author of The Tears of Dark Water, uh, the internationally best-selling author of A Walk Across the Sun. By the way, the book cover, uh, I, we just posted a picture of me uh, holding the book in my hand, and that'll be something you want to keep uh, forever, folks, that picture there. Let's bring it around and I'll sign it. By the way, have you had people ask you for autographs, Corbin? Have, has that happened to you yet? Because that's weird, don't you think? This is weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is. I, I was once actually out in my hometown here. You know, uh, we have a pedestrian mall, and... It was after my first book came out, and I did a book event, you know, and, and there were people on the mall, you know, with my book at a diff- on a different day and said, oh, that's Corbin Addison. And I, I'm thinking, you know, okay. I mean, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary Joe. I mean, really, I'm no different from anybody else, but hey. That's they what I've heard. I've talked to your wife. To she said the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, here, here's what I'm trying to figure out. This, this seems like it's not only just a, a, a great novel with uh, some some accurate historical stuff and and culturally relevant things and things that will move us towards so, the heart of social justice and grace and there's god stuff um but it's written in a really unique format as well can you explain that to our people please yeah i mean you know i i wanted to write from a lot of different perspectives and you know there there are structural questions that authors have to answer you know each book that i've written i've taken a different kind of structure with this one you know i like i said i wanted to write a holistic story i wanted to tell the backstory of my somali characters i wanted to answer the question why is ismail on the water um you know and of course his story he's not a typical somali pirate by any means though i was able through his, you know, interactions with his, you know, band of, of brigands, you know, to tell kind of the more typical story. But I wanted to tell the story of Somalia, and 
um, you know, as much as I could through his family, through his experience. So, of course, I had to tell it from his perspective, from his sister's perspective, who he's trying to rescue back in southern Somalia. Um, you know, she'd been forced to marry a, a commander of al-Shabaab, the al-Qaeda-aligned um, terrorist organization. Uh, and, you know, of course, I, I wanted to tell it from the perspective of the hostages, um, Daniel Parker, and that from the perspective of his wife, Vanessa, back home. Um, and I wanted to tell it from the perspective of the FBI hostage negotiator, you know, who we can sort of imagine as a movie hero, but in reality, um, you know, real people like this exist and they have very specific skills and they're really intriguing humans because they're put in very extreme circumstances and they're asked to try to back people who are literally threatening to kill somebody um, down from the ledge. And, you know, I had to get into that, you know, that person's mind who became Paul Derrick. You know, and I always weave the law into my stories because I'm mm -hmm. a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so Megan is, you know, his twin sister who's a defense attorney. She comes in later. You know, it was, it was that way. So I, I wanted to tell the story from a lot of different perspectives. So really, the story is kind of like a braid, um, you know, with seven different strands. And I weave them together through nice. the story to tell a linear story, you know, but from all those different perspectives. Well, you've already done half the work uh, for the screenplay. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, you know what? I mean, uh, we've had some interest. So, look, I, I would love to see this adapted for the screen. Yeah. I, you know, while I was writing it, I thought, you know, it it would make a great sure. show. So we'll no, see. This is dynamic. I, and I'm sorry, but I, if I was to pitch it to somebody, I would. I want Aaron Sorkin all over this. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be it'd be awesome. Yeah, he's just uh, finished. Well, he was part of. So anyway, let me back this up. Can I talk about me for a second? I was down in LA a few weeks ago. I had a meeting with Mark Gordon. And uh, Mark is executive producer of uh, Grey's Anatomy and uh, Criminal Minds, and uh, he just released the biopic on uh, Steve Jobs. And Aaron Sorkin wrote that. Right, yeah. Uh, and uh, I just, I mean, I really do see screenplay all over this. Uh, characters, let's talk about who would play who. Who would be your lead? <laughs> Come on. You know, it's really funny. I mean, I, I actually, um, you know, in writing this story, I sat down and did something I'd never done before, which is come up with a cast of characters Thank you. by, you know, going to, to the web and thinking about who might play, uh, you know, these characters. Yeah. Um, you know, so I had Anthony Hopkins in there, you know, for the, the father. Um, I'm trying to think. I had sort of, it's funny, I had a, I, I was thinking like a young Kurt, uh, you know, um, Kevin Costner for uh, Daniel, but I'm not sure if that's right. It, it kind of it looked right for, for sort of the sailor, yeah. but I'm not sure. I wonder how Kevin Costner feels about about you saying I, I would like a young Kevin Costner to play. <laughs> well, because Daniel's a little bit younger than yeah, yeah. Kevin is now. I think that's more than anything. But, but you know, he had the kind of look. And, of course, you know, he's played, uh, you know, movies, or he's played characters on the sea before. CorbinAddison.com. Corbin, C-O-R-B-A-N, Addison. Uh, that uh, is my uh, dad's middle name. You don't hear Addison very often. So, yeah. Corbin Addison. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's say there's some Creeper fans that are listening to this interview of, you know, some of your fans, and they, they want to know about you, the real you. So let's do some, let's do some uh, Entertainment Tonight kind of questions. You ready? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, favorite smell? <laughs> smell <laughs> my wife's perfume oh nice well played good recovery from earlier <laughs> yeah hey, let's try this again uh corbin who's your hero uh yeah my wife yes, yes! yes! <laughs> well she actually done. is she's the most long-suffering person i've ever met yeah aren't she's they all through all this it's been wild yep um have you ever had an embarrassing moment that you would like to share with us on air well uh, 
goodness, probably the way this interview began when you asked me <laughs> if I, you know. <laughs> There you go. So thank you. Yeah, well, I'm glad I could help. You gave me an answer. No, but you've never, you never, I don't know, argued a case with your fly open or something like that? Oh, gosh. Uh, not to my knowledge. So, you know, <laughs> not if anyone would point that out. Um, okay. You know, I mean, right. I, I've definitely been stared down by mean and angry judges who, you know, think what I just said was, you know, either Chinese or an insult. But yeah. it isn't really embarrassing. It's terrifying because you're worried that they're going to, you know, take your cell phone and, and, uh, you know, tell you never come back. And, uh, you know, what would The Firm do at that point? So The Firm. That was another Ooh, good movie. Yeah. Um, go. So give us your best moment in court where you were at the end of it, you could have mic dropped and walked out of the room. <laughs> you know, um, goodness. I, and and if you don't have any, you're a fiction writer. Just make something up. Don't wreck a good yeah, story I, with I, facts, I, man. I, right, right, right. Well, you know, I, I remember uh, arguing a case at one point where, I had a judge who was really paying attention, and, you know, I dropped one of the... I, I'm a wordsmith, you know, I'm a writer, so I love words, and I dropped the word chimera into my argument, nice, and I actually nice. got a smirk from the judge, and I was like, that felt good. He actually knew what that meant. I, I didn't, you know, not a deadpan stare, like, who are you, and why would you use that word in my court? So there you go. That's completely wonkish, but, you know, that's the sort of thing that I, I live for as a lawyer. Nice. Just one, um, one part of the book... So let's say you're sitting beside Oprah on a plane, and uh, you would love to get your book in her hands, and, and you really want to get her excited about it, but you've got one shot, one shot to get her excited about picking up your book. Tell us something about the book, either a part of the book or, you know, give us the hook, man. Give us the hook. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, especially for your audience, there's a scene in the book um, you know that that is a it is a vision of terrestrial uh, terrestrial uh, resurrection. I mean, it, it is it's it's one of those things that as I was writing it, I wrote through tears. Um, it actually you know moved me many times as I went back to it. And then you know when I turn my book and I'm always worried you know that the people that read it, my agents and my editors are going to think you know they're going to look at me cross-eyed and say what the heck were you doing here? But I remember getting a phone call from uh, from my foreign rights agent you know who's Jewish, you know, uh, you know, amazing guy, um, but in the, been in the industry a long time, been a bit jaded by it, um, you know, but still has a, a really tender heart. And he read this story, and this, this scene moved him to tears, you know, and, and other people I know have said, you know, I've never heard Danny say that he was moved to tears by a book. Huh. Um, so, you know, that, that scene was, you know, where, uh, and I, I hate to, I can't give away too much, but, it, you know, Quentin, uh, the young man in the story, you know, he gets shot, and he doesn't die, but he, there's some injuries to his brain. And you know, he used to be a, you know, when he was younger, um, was kind of a concert pianist. His mother, um, you know, was, was an exceptional violinist, and this was the, the one thing that really connected them was music. And so there's this scene in the story about halfway through where, um, you know, Quentin has, has been really struggling to recover from his injuries and Paul Derrick, the negotiator, shows up at, at Vanessa's house. Vanessa's the mother. And he, you know, he plays kind of more open-ended piano, but he, you know, has this nocturne from Chopin that um, he sees the music to on their their piano. And he just, he's about to walk out, return something to her, and he's going to leave. And he said, you know, uh, that's such a beautiful piece of music. And Vanessa says, you know, will you play it for me? Because it used to be, it was Quentin's favorite before his injuries so Paul sits down and plays the Chopin Nocturne Number no. Two, which I think, in my mind, is one of the most beautiful pieces nice. ever written. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, and then Quentin shows up and he, he comes downstairs and he stands there. He hasn't played the piano since his injuries. And he says, do you mind if I play, you know, in his halting voice and sits down and plays the piano. The music comes back to him and it's the first glimpse that Vanessa has that her son is actually going to have a future. Um, and it's a really, it's a moving scene. I would say, you know, to Oprah, I think that would work. Um, and really that's the kind of heart of the story that I write. It's, you know, very human, very real, as much as I can make it. Good for you, man. Well done. Listen, we're giving away a copy of The Tears of Dark Water on our Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HarperCollins Canada Faith Books. Uh, so go to our Facebook page. You'll see a lovely picture of me holding that book, which I'm sure will thrill you and motivate you to go to our page, uh, the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page. We have been chatting with Corbin Addison. He is the author of The Tears of Dark Water. And what a, what a pleasure. Just really enjoyed that conversation, uh, Corbin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Corbin Addison on the Drew Marshall Show. Yeah. I um I might actually read that book. Yeah, I was gonna ask you to borrow, but I guess uh, No. You're not, you're not Oh, is this the piece? Yeah, it is. Oh well done. Nice, huh? You are not yeah. just an ugly face. <laughs> Somali pirates have hijacked a sailboat in the Indian Ocean and taken two passengers hostage. What happens next will change their lives forever. The Tears of Dark Water is a powerhouse new novel of tragedy, vengeance, and redemption. From acclaimed novelist Corbin Addison, the international best-selling author of A Walk Across the Sun. Kirkus Reviews calls it a fast-paced thriller and puts its humanitarian moral at the forefront. Electrifying and moving, The Tears of Dark Water is a tour de force and Corbin Addison's most powerful novel yet. 